the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Monday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. James Blend is producing. Sam Maupin is engineering. He's, uh, he's our new engineer. I need to have you talk a little on the air some point in the not too distant future. Anyway, we're glad to have you with us. Today, of course, is Martin Luther King Day. We'll talk a little bit about that history and legacy. We're also going to hear from Robert Jeffress, Pastor Jeffress. Book is Invincible, Conquering the Mountains that Separate You from the Blessed Life. The book is published by Baker. That'll come up in the second hour of the program. And also in the second hour, we'll talk about MLK or CRT. Uh, teaching um, Martin Luther King's approach to civil rights and uh, equality or critical race theory. That'll come up in the final segment of today's program. Well, as I mentioned, and you know, today is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Some things you may not know about him, we'll talk about in just a moment. He didn't set out to be a minister. He was studying medicine and law in college. He carved his way into history as a civil rights hero. His influence and legacy continued to inspire people around the world more than half a century after his death. And while the civil rights leader may be most remembered for his iconic and often quoted I Have a Dream speech, which stands in stark contrast to critical race theory, at the Lincoln Memorial, where that address was made in 1963 at the March on Washington, uh, Dr. King did more than just dream during his lifetime. Well, his nonviolent approach to protest and social change saw him become the youngest man awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in 1964. A year later, he participated in the Selma March that resulted in the passage of the Voting Rights Act, legislation that helped African-Americans exercise their right to vote. Now, interestingly, that was actually a voting rights act. What we're talking about now is voting rights uh, statute, the practice of how how you implement the right. It's not really a voting rights bill, although it bear, uh, bears the name. Um, it's more about uh, the structure of how you Im- impose certain standards. So it's not really in in stark terms, a voting rights act. Nonetheless, King was born in January of 1929, the 15th to be precise, in Atlanta, Georgia, as Michael King Jr. His father, Michael, a pastor of Atlanta's Ebenezer Baptist Church, became inspired by the work of Protestant Reformation leader Martin Luther uh, during a trip overseas to places such as Rome, Egypt, Jerusalem, and Berlin for the Baptist World Alliance. Well, when he returned in 1934, he decided to change his name and that of his son from Michael King to Martin Luther King. Well, according to the Martin Luther King Jr. Research and Education Institute in Stanford. However, it wasn't until 1957 when the younger King, at 28, uh, that he officially changed his name on his birth certificate from Michael King Jr. to Martin Luther King Jr. Well, he started college at age 15, which tells you something about 
his um, intellect. In 1944, he entered Morehouse College in Atlanta under a wartime program that admitted gifted high school students to boost enrollment. He didn't initially set out to become a minister. He studied medicine and law until his senior year. He was mentored by college president Benjamin uh, Hayes. He was a Baptist minister and rights activist who influenced King's later decision. He graduated from Morehouse in 1948. King was awarded a Grammy in 1970. He won Best Spoken Word Album for Why I Oppose the War in Vietnam, recorded from a sermon he delivered in 1967. He was previously nominated for two Grammys in the Spoken Word category for recordings of I Have a Dream and We Shall Overcome. Almost a decade before his assassination at the Lorraine Hotel, a rather motel in Memphis, Tennessee, in 1968, he survived an attempt on his life. The 29-year-old king was at a book signing in New York City's Harlem neighborhood in September of 58 when Isola Ware Curry approached and asked, is this Martin Luther King? When the Martin Luther King replied yes, the 42-year-old mentally ill black woman plunged a seven-inch letter opener into his chest. Well, King retold the story of his first attempt or of the first attempt on his life on the eve of his assassination back in 1968, saying that he had merely sneezed or if he had, he would have died from his wound. King joined uh, President um, George Washington as the only one of only two Americans to have their birthday observed as a federal holiday in 1983 when President Ronald Reagan signed a bill that recognized the third Monday in January, which is why we're celebrating on the 17th close to King's birthday as Martin Luther King Jr. Day. So it's always the third Monday in January when, in fact, his birthday would have been the 15th of this month. Well, Martin Luther King Jr. Day is unique among national holidays in that it honors the one American who profoundly described and demonstrated through love and nonviolence a picture of the fulfillment of core values expressed in both the country's founding Declaration of Independence, which he did not reject, Uh, The independence in 1776 and in President Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address in 1863. The Declaration's self-evident truth that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness, wasn't realized when the U.S. Constitution was uh, ratified some 14 years after the Declaration. Nor was Lincoln's Gettysburg proposition that all men are created equal fulfilled through the Civil War's Emancipation Proclamation that abolished slavery. I'm grateful for that emancipation. My forebears were enslaved in this country. In King's most famous I Have a Dream speech delivered before the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. on the 28th of August in 63, it was as if the Almighty was calling on America to rise up and fulfill its spiritual destiny to the self-evident truth of all people having equal value. Dr. King added an equally timeless truth that people should not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. His message took root because it was grounded in unassailable truth, establishing an ideal uh, and absolute standard for an interracial society, not only in America, but around the world. Were it possible to transport King into the present, he would be deeply troubled by today's identity politics, the hatred, the intolerance and the division that are all a part of it. We'll continue taking a look at his legacy and the work that he did. And I would encourage you during the break to just imagine if Dr. King had not introduced the element of peaceful protest, what the outcome of the civil rights movement might have been, because there were detractors who had a very different view of how the movement should have moved forward. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're going to take a quick break. This reminder, we'll hear from Robert Jeffress in the second hour of today's program. 
You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We're talking about uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day and some of the things that commend him to our memory. Uh, one writer, Scott Powell, points out that King would condemn critical race theory on the simple grounds that it's training perpetuates negative racial stereotypes, albeit in a reversal that denigrates the white race. He would also find CRT fundamentally flawed because it exacerbates divisions in society rather than bringing people together and finding common ground through constructive dialogue and seeing all people as individuals made in God's image. It's sad but true that many of the proponents of critical race theory want to censor MLK, just as they have done with uh, cancellation and tearing down statues of other early American heroes. Well, King was more than a great pastor and civil rights leader. He had a deep mind of discernment that focused on timeless truths, many of which speak to us today, such as the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans, in which he said, Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed in the renewing of your mind. He drew on Thomas Jefferson's statement, I have sworn upon the altar of God eternal hostility against every form of tyranny over the mind of man, end quote. Well, King warned in a sermon as early as 1954, also recorded in his book, Strength to love that if Americans permit thought control, business control, freedom control to continue, we shall surely move within the uh, shadows of fascism. Well, today, nearly 70 years later, we've moved way beyond shadows and now live in a matrix of fascism and communism that effectively operates at various levels within the United States under the camouflage and misnomer of being woke. Well, there have been few American leaders as strong and clear-headed about the dangers of groupthink than Dr. King. He reminds us of Ralph Waldo Emerson's words, Whoso would be a man must be a nonconformist, end quote. And drawing on the Apostle Paul's teaching, he implored that any Christian who blindly accepts the opinions of the majority and in fear and timidity follows a path of expediency and social approval is a mental and spiritual slave, end quote. But he also saw the positive side of um, those who went against the crowd, pointing out that the trailblazers in human, academic, scientific, and religious freedom have always been nonconformists in any cause that, so that in any cause that concerns the progress of mankind, put your faith in the nonconformist, end quote. Well, that so many brilliant nonconformists are being censored, canceled, and deplatformed today in America provides the clearest sign of regression and loss of the most essential freedom in America. One is... Um, Reminded of Ben Franklin's admonition that there is no such thing as public liberty without free speech. Well, King's lesser known speeches and sermons provide uh, insight for the times in which we live. On numerous occasions, he quoted scripture about the need to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves, arguing that people need to have a tough mind and a tender heart. He expressed concern that the prevalent tendency towards soft mindedness is found in man's unbelievable gullibility. He further stated that few people have the the toughness of mind to judge critically and to discern the truth from the false and the fact from the fiction. He was extremely critical of the media, stating that one of the great uh, needs of mankind is to be lifted above the morass of false propaganda. He concluded this theme with the warning that a nation or a civilization that continues to produce soft-minded men purchases its own spiritual death on the installment plan. End quote. Well, such counsel is dramatically more pertinent today than it was even when he 
made those uh, statements some 60 years ago. Well, if King were resurrected today, he'd be shocked by the reversion that has taken place in America in nearly three generations since he led the civil rights movement in the 50s and 60s. He would condemn the rise of hatred in politics just as he would find the wholesale desensitization and detachment of young people troubling. He would also reject the eclipse of group, gender, and ethnic identity paradigm over the merit and character of the individual as the primary criterion for evaluation, acceptance, and advancement, whether in school admission or in the workplace. Clearly, there's much to learn from and reflect on his life. In closing, what's most significant and formidable about the man was the unique, vital, and powerful role he played in the unfinished progress of America yet unfinished. In spite of his flaws, and he had many, he rose to the occasion to fulfill the course of redemption in American history. Nearly 200 years after the vision expressed in the Declaration of Independence, and nearly 100 years after the bloody Civil War and Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. answered the call and ultimately sacrificed his life to finish the work he described as making people free at last, free at last. Well, moving on to other news of the day, the Centers for Disease Control Director, that's Dr. Rochelle Walensky, acknowledged that her agency's poor messaging in recent weeks as the uh, Omicron variant continues to surge in the United States. One year into her tenure as director of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, Rochelle Walensky acknowledges that she should have communicated certain things better to the American people. That's a quote from the Wall Street Journal reporting about its exclusive interview with her. She says the pandemic threw curveballs that she should have anticipated. She thinks she should have made it clearer to the public that new rules and guidelines were subject to change if the nature of the fight against COVID shifted again. Walensky told the Wall Street Journal, I think what I have not conveyed is the uncertainty in a lot of these situations. Well, according to the Wall Street Journal, Walensky was committed or rather has committed to communicating CDC policy more clearly and that she's being coached by a media consultant is set to hold more media briefings outside those held at the White House. There was extreme confusion over the CDC's guidance on whether those who test positive for COVID with or without symptoms should be isolated and for how long. If you're positive, you should probably stay at home, she told the Wall Street Journal, but a negative um, that doesn't mean you're not contagious. And uh, we needed to be very clear about that. Well, the CDC director said that she has the backing of the Biden administration to improve the agency's data collection, saying fewer than 200 health facilities across the country had their electronic health records linked to the CDC. At the start of the pandemic, some states that were unable to electronically report positive COVID tests or cases rather had to fax um, the uh, results to the CDC. The Wall Street Journal reported that some states were entering positive results first because they didn't have the capacity to enter all the negative ones, she said. So the CDC initially received a skewed review of what fraction of the population was positive. Well, the journal continued tens of thousands of facilities have upgraded their electronic uh, record uh, keeping during the pandemic, in part using federal funding, she said. There's still a long way to go, Dr. Walensky said. Modernizing public health data infrastructure for the federal government and the 3,050 state and local health departments would cost about $30 billion over 10 years, the nonprofit Healthcare Information and Management System Society said. Most recently, this will not end with COVID. This is not a one and done effort. Walensky uh, went on to say, but I thought the more interesting thing was her admission that poor messaging on COVID guidance uh, was in fact a problem and she has vowed to do better. We'll see what happens next.
Meanwhile, Republicans overtook Democrats as America's preferred political party during the last quarter in 2021, with the GOP holding its largest lead in voter preference since 1995. Republicans held 47 to 42 lead in voter identification at the end of 2021, according to a Gallup poll released today. A dramatic shift from the beginning of the year when Democrats held 49 to 40 edge in the metric. A lead in vote preference by Republicans has been a rarity since Gallup first started posing the question to voters in 1991. The last GOP lead of this size at the beginning of 1995 was shortly after the GOP regained control of the House for the first time in decades. Republicans are looking to repeat that accomplishment in 2022. Well, the numbers include both those who affiliate with each party and those who lean toward one of the two parties. Independents remain the largest political group in the U.S., with the percentage of voters who identify as independent continuing to grow in recent years. Gallup noted that the shift in party preferences largely tracked the approval ratings of President Biden, who started his term in January with high ratings, but saw them fall amid growing concerns over the pandemic. The military's chaotic withdrawal from Afghanistan and rising inflation. Despite the country seeming uh, seemingly tending toward the GOP throughout 2021, Democrats still held a net advantage over the average of all four quarters of the year. That advantage has been consistent since Gallup started posing the question to voters in 1991, with that first year being the lone time Republicans enjoyed more support than Democrats over the course of an entire year. Well, the parties enjoyed roughly equal support from 20, uh, rather 2001 to 2003 and again in 2010 to 2011. Gallup also noted that the Republican advantage may be starting to decline with the party's latest monthly estimate showing the GOP with only a two point lead over the Democrats. They surveyed about 12,500 adults living in the U.S. throughout 2021, with a poll having a margin of error of plus or minus one percentage point. Rather interesting. Well, the FBI statement on the Texas synagogue attack was incredibly tone deaf. That's a statement from the former State Department spokesperson Morgan Ortagas um, speaking on Monday that the FBI's initial statement on the synagogue attack in Texas was, well, tone deaf. Well, Senator Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, rather, and their party uh, fellows in the Senate are facing a dilemma. Should they blow up the legislative filibuster to pass their uh, inaptly named voting rights bill or preserve uh, uh, it to defend against Republicans doing the same when they have the majority. Hundreds marked MLK Day marching across Frederick Douglass Bridge demanding voting legislation. Hundreds marched across the bridge, uh, the Memorial Bridge in Washington, D.C. to mark the day. California agrees to remove Aztec ash chants from the curriculum after a legal challenge. California will remove the controversial chant from its ethnic studies model curriculum after multiple parents sued, alleging it was violating the state and federal constitutions. A Midwest hospital chain has stopped using race-based COVID-19 treatment plans after a backlash there. SSM Hospital, a Catholic hospital chain that operates 23 hospitals in Illinois, Missouri, Oklahoma, and Wisconsin, has stopped using race as a determining factor for prioritizing COVID-19 treatment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Monday edition of The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up later in the second hour, we'll hear from Pastor Robert Jeffress, his book, Invincible, Conquering the Mountains That Separate You from the Blessed Life. Also want to remind you, this Friday and Saturday, Mission Connection Northwest 
Starts on Friday evening, runs all day Saturday. If you've been looking for a new way to serve God, want to learn more about the contemporary world of uh, missions, you don't want to miss Missions Connection 2022 in person at Village Church in Beaverton. The Missions Conference can help you discover your place in God's global plan. KPDQ will be broadcasting from uh, that location. That's, well, me, from 4 to 6 on Friday. So if you're there, stop by and give us a wave. Uh, Also, the... the, um, Event remains free, but you do need to register online in order to attend. All the details can be found at kpdq.com, or you can go straight to missionconnection.com. Either way, we look forward to uh, to seeing you. By the way, the plenary speakers will be Jeannie Marie with Found, uh, Frontiers, rather Operation Mobilization President Andrew Scott, Pastor Adrian Reeves with the National African American Missions Conference, and Kevin Palau with the Luis Palau Evangelistic Association, all of that coming up this Friday and Saturday. You don't want to miss it. Well, returning to some of the headline news, an Ohio man stole a car with a sleeping passenger in back who texted real-time updates, according to the police. The Ohio man stole the car from a, a teenager looking for uh, to trade it in at a dealership with a sleeping passenger in the back. That passenger led police on a chase, or at least uh, gave information to the police who were led uh, in a chase by the Ohio man who stole the vehicle. California agrees to, uh, well, I think I've already mentioned that one in our previous segment. Well, New Jersey or New New Virginia Governor Youngkin is banning critical race theory. The Virginia governor also ended mandates for masks in school and vaccination requirements for state workers. In a separate tweet, Axios claimed Youngkin doubled down on his uh, order banning critical race theory today. Uh, Noah Pollock points out Youngkin openly campaigned on enacting a policy. One enacted that policy and then answered a question about it in an interview. This is the hysterics of, at Axios uh, framed as doubling down as if he's a reckless gambler. Ridiculous. Well, some school districts are pushing back. Uh, Hugh Hewitt gave one piece of advice to Youngkin, get kids back in school. The New York Times turned slightly on its trans obsession. The story looks at uh, uh, taking a pause before doing irreversible damage to children. Abigail Shire points out the New York Times now admits teens requesting cross-sex hormones are vulnerable to peer influence, vulnerable to irreversible fertility loss, may be in emotional distress, may detransition. All the news that was obvious two years ago, but it wouldn't print. A new poll reveals only 26 percent of Americans see things as going well in a CBS News U government poll. And this CBS News article goes to great lengths to not pin the blame on the president himself. But when Americans disapprove of your handling of the economy by 62 percent and inflation by 70 percent, well, it's pretty hard to sell. Also of note in the poll, more than three quarters say their opinion of the president will not improve if he passes Build Back Better. And it's the first time in this poll Biden's handling of the pandemic has dipped below 50 percent. According to the Salt Lake Tribune, authorities should ban the unvaxxed from going anywhere. According to their editorial board, the governor should find a way to mandate the kind of mass vaccination campaign we should have launched a year ago, going as far as to deploy the National Guard to ensure that people without proof of vaccination would not be allowed, well, anywhere. From another story, the proposal is, of course, outrageous, but members of Congress, Chip Roy, or members of Congress, Chip Roy and Lauren Boebert, saw the editorial as a warning sign for all Americans that the left likely wishes it could actually enact such a policy here in America. Hmm. Well, Twitter banned Iran's supreme leader over the Trump assassination threat. Uh, It's as if Twitter just found out about him. He's been 
tweeting quite a bit of offensive stuff, as has a whole list of others that are still permitted on the site. A paper appearing in the Ventura County Star says California should abolish parenthood. An article in the Ventura County Star opens, If California is ever going to achieve true equity, the state must require parents to give away their children. End quote. Newsbusters points out, if you think the author wrote this from an asylum, you would be wrong. In fact, Matthews was employed by the Los Angeles Times for eight years. However, when you read his rantings for equity, you might think he belongs in some sort of institution. So parents, are you willing to give up your kids? Democrats are making mansion and cinema holdouts about race. The I do I don't really have an argument is uh, coming from Maxine Waters this time. A Bloomberg op-ed says pets are cheaper than kids. Well, so are rocks. I don't believe that Laura Williams understands what an absurd comparison she makes, but she makes it in an op-ed. CNN labeled Kirsten Cinema a Republican in an on-air graphic. That is, of course, the worst insult you can give someone in the CNN world. U-Haul has run out of trucks leaving California. Top destinations, Texas and Florida. Well, the COVID child tax credit is ending. The stimulus program that allowed upwards of $300 per child per month to families making uh, up to $150,000 annually ended last month. Now the stimulus checks that 30 million American households have been receiving will end. Making permanent the pandemic-initiated expanded child tax credit was one of the government entitlement programs included in Joe Biden's $3 trillion Build Back Better social spending bill that failed to pass Congress. The Tax Foundation estimated that the program would have cost $1.6 trillion in taxpayer dollars over a decade. The stimulus program may be another explanation as to why so many people have not returned to the workforce. Senator Marshall has released Dr. Fauci's financial records. Republican Senator Roger Marshall from uh, Kansas, uh, whom Dr. Anthony Fauci was caught on a hot mic calling a moron after his uh, question regarding the public accessibility of the doctor's financial records, appears to have gotten the last laugh. Over the weekend, Marshall published Fauci's unredacted financial records, along with his plan to introduce legislation titled the Financial Accountability for Uniquely Compensated Individuals, or Fauci Act. At the end of the day, Dr. Fauci must be held accountable to all Americans who have been suing and requesting for this information, but don't have the power of the Senate office to ask for it, Marshall stated. Well, the Supreme Court will know will uh, hear a um, case of a high school coach fired for praying. The Supreme Court will take up a First Amendment case that promises to hold important implications for individuals' religious liberty rights. The case involves the firing of a public school football coach, Joseph Kennedy, of Bremerton, Washington, who was suspended and eventually fired over his practice of praying on field after games. No student athletes were ever directed or compelled to join their coach, but many freely did. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled against Kennedy, claiming his actions were in violation of the Establishment Clause. Justice Samuel Alito observed the Ninth Circuit's understanding of the free speech rights of public school teachers is probably and may justly review um, in the future. Democrat and Republican voters are split over uh, fining the unvaccinated. Should individuals who refuse to get the covid vaccine face harsh government actions such as fines and confinement? 
A recent Heartland Institute and Rasmussen Reports national survey finds that a majority of Democrats at 55 percent support fining unvaccinated individuals, whereas a minority of Republicans at 19 percent and independents 25 percent do. The majority of voters at 58 percent oppose such compulsory and punitive measures. Digging more deeply into the survey data, it becomes increasingly clear that Democrat voters favor authoritarian government over individual liberty and limited government. Wisconsin um, ballot drop boxes were, in fact, illegal. A Wisconsin Circuit Court judge has ruled that the Wisconsin Elections Commission unilateral decision to greenlight ballot drop boxes during the 2020 election was illegal. Judge Michael Boren, he ruled that there's no uh, statutory authority for the WEC to make such changes to the state's election laws. He noted that the WEC's uh, decision to allow for an unlimited number of drop boxes was a major policy decision that alters how our absentee ballot process operates and that such a major policy change could only be made by the state legislature via the passage of legislation. The Wisconsin Institute of Law and Liberty, which raised the lawsuit, praised the judge ruling, stating the guidance from the Wisconsin Election Commission on absentee ballot drop boxes was unlawful. There was just two legal methods to cast an absentee ballot in Wisconsin through the mail or in person at a clerk's office. And voters must return their own ballots. We are pleased the court made it clear, providing Wisconsin voters with certainty for forthcoming elections. It's too bad this decision comes 15 months after this illegality occurred. House Republicans are demanding answers from Twitter's CEO about censorship and the suspension of an mRNA vaccine researcher. And former DHS acting uh, IG under Obama has pled guilty to attempting to defraud the U.S. government. A Union Pacific official blames far-left policies for massive train thefts, is considering leaving Los Angeles, and insurance companies are struggling to implement Biden's COVID test mandate. Can't find a test pretty much anywhere these days. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be back to continue to take a look at the news. Also anticipating a conversation with Robert Jeffress, Invincible, the title of his book. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, the U.S. claims Russia is planning a false flag operation in the Ukraine to provoke a, an invasion, giving themselves an excuse, and it wouldn't be the first time. The Waukesha Christmas Parade suspect, Daryl Brooks, is heading to trial as a court commissioner finds probable cause. Boston public schools are keeping their windows open because COVID, because of COVID, and now students and teachers have to bundle up because of how cold it is inside. This is in Boston. Penn State is assigning students to write about why the Taliban is not a terrorist organization. Good luck with that assignment. Intentional killings of police officers spiked 59% in 2021, the most since 1995. And Alec Baldwin's phone has finally been turned over one month after the fatal shooting of his on his film set. 82% say the media is fear-mongering COVID-19. And an explosive underwater volcano erupted in Tonga it was spotted from space and satellite images. There was actually a tsunami alert. As a result, well, on this day in history, 1917, Denmark cedes the Virgin Islands to the United States for twenty five million dollars. 1922, Betty White, star of the Mary Tyler Moore show, The Golden Girls and Hot in Cleveland, is born in Oak Park, Illinois. 1929, Popeye the Sailor makes his debut in the Thimble Theater comic strip. 
1945, Soviet and Polish forces liberate Warsaw during World War II. Swedish diplomat Raoul Wallenberg credited the saving of tens of thousands of Jews disappears in Hungary while in Soviet custody. 1961, President Dwight Eisenhower delivers his farewell address in which he warns against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. 1984, the U.S. Supreme Court in Sony Corporation of America versus Universal City Studios, Inc., rules 5-4 that the use of home video cassette recorders to tape television programs for private viewing does not violate federal copyright laws. 1995, more than 6,000 people are uh, killed when an earthquake with a magnitude of 7.2 devastates the city of Kobe, Japan. 1996, uh, Sheikh Omar Abdul Rahman and nine followers are handed long prison sentences for plotting to blow up New York area landmarks. 2001, faced with an electricity crisis, California uses rolling blackouts to cut off power to hundreds of thousands of people. Then Governor Gray Davis signs an emergency order authorizing the state to buy power. Davis, a Democrat, is later recalled by voters who then elect Republican Arnold Schwarzenegger to replace him. 2009, Israel declares a unilateral ceasefire in its 22-day Gaza offensive. And finally, on this day in history, 2014, a Vatican document obtained by the Associated Press showed that in his last two years as Pope, Benedict XVI, defrocked nearly 400 priests for raping and molesting children. Well, transgender women's athletes who went through a typical male puberty during adolescence, still hold a competitive edge over their biologically female competitors. And one year of testosterone suppression therapy, as required by the National College Athletic Association, or NC2A, isn't enough to ensure fairness in women's sports. Some scientists are now arguing. The scientific community is conflicted over the issue of fairness in women's sports as trans athletes like University of Pennsylvania swimmer Leah Thomas makes headlines for dominating on women's teams. Women's sports advocates and parents at Penn have recently spoken out against the NC2A and its rules on transgender student-athlete participation, which requires trans women athletes to undergo at least a year of testosterone suppression treatment before competing on a women's team. Uh, Thomas, who competed on the men's team for three years before switching to the women's team in 2020, has been receiving the treatment for nearly three years. Um, He will compete at next month's Ivy League championship and is already qualified for the NC2A championship in March. Unlike Penn and the Ivy League, which both issued statements defending Thomas and the NC2A policy in recent weeks, the NC2A itself has yet to weigh in on mounting criticism over its transgender athlete, athlete policy. The Board of Governors is expected to review the policy during a meeting this week and issue a statement at that time, according to a spokesperson. Numerous studies in recent years have showed that requiring only one year of testosterone suppression therapy is insufficient in ensuring fairness in women's sports. In fact, a study released last month by the McDonald Lohrer Institute, a Canadian think tank, argued that there is neither a medical uh, intervention nor a clever philosophical argument that can make it fair for trans women to compete in women's sports. And it recommends other means of including trans women in competition. For trans women who have successfully suppressed testosterone for 12 months, the extent of muscle strength loss is only an approximately uh, minus 5% after 12 months, the author said. Testosterone suppression does not remove the athletic, athletic advantage 
acquired under high testosterone conditions at puberty, while the male musculoskeletal advance, advantage rather is retained. The Democrat Party blasted the idea that parents should have a voice in what public schools teach, saying in a Facebook post over the weekend that public education teaches kids what society needs them to know. A Saturday post made by the Michigan Democrats on their official Facebook page criticized the parents who want to play a role in what public education teaches their children. The post was deleted Monday morning after, well, not surprisingly, intense criticism. Not sure where this parent should control what is taught in schools because they are our kids is originating, but parents do have the option to send their kids to a hand-selected private school at their own expense if this is what they desire, the post read. Well, the purpose of public education in public schools is not to teach kids only what parents want them to be taught. The Michigan Democrat uh, Party posted a uh, post continued rather. It is to teach them what society needs them to know. The client of the public school is not the parent, but the entire community, the public. Well, this was news to many parents in Michigan. Well, the Michigan Democratic Party uh, later deleted the post and issued a, a quasi apology. We have deleted a post that ignored the important role parents play. Apparently just a simple oversight and should play in Michigan public schools. Parents need to have a say in their children's education. End of story. End quote. A subsequent post on Monday stated the post does not reflect the views of the Michigan Democrats and should not be misinterpreted as a statement of support from our elected officials or candidates. End quote. Well, the state's Republicans were sharply critical of the Democrats' original post, not surprisingly. Gretchen Whitmer and the Michigan Democrat Party continue to be in the pockets of teachers' unions and are so out of touch with Michiganders, they believe parents shouldn't be involved in their children's education. That's a quote from Michigan GOP Communications Director Gustavo Portella. Studies have shown time and time again that parents' involvement leads to student success. Portella continued, parents' involvement is exactly what our students need now more than ever after a year of learning loss that will impact them for years to come, thanks to Gretchen Whitmer's shutdowns, end quote. Well, the Wolverine State GOP also torched their political rivals in a Sunday tweet, writing the Democrats are ready to indoctrinate your children with what society needs them to know. Republican Governors Association spokesman, Chris Gustafson told Fox News on Monday in a statement that the Democrat Michigan governor must take action over the post. Gretchen Widmer must condemn the Michigan Democrat Party or admit that she believes teachers unions should control public education, not parents. Republican gubernatorial candidate and former Detroit police chief James Craig released a statement declaring parents the true stakeholders of their kids education, as well as blasting the Michigan Democrats as um, post as disgraceful and demonstrating they have an agenda of indoctrinating, not education. And the back and forth continues. And the way ultimately to remedy uh, disagreements on the subject is an election. And voters in Michigan will have that opportunity at some point in the not too distant future. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. A reminder in our second hour, Pastor Robert Jeffress, his book is titled Invincible, Conquering the Mountains that Separate You from the Blessed Life. We'll also talk about the event that took place over the weekend in which um, uh, Jewish leaders was uh, taken hostage at a Texas synagogue. The FBI got it wrong in terms of the motivation behind it. More on that and more news when we return. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 
Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. In this hour, we'll hear from Robert Jeffress, a pastor, the author of Invincible, Conquering the Mountains that Separate You from the Blessed Life. Also want to uh, let you know that tomorrow we're going to be joined in studio by International Christian Response, or ICR. It's an emergency food campaign radiothon. You'll get all the important details. You can go to kpdq.com to learn more, but we'll be highlighting uh, ICR throughout the day. And then from four to six, we'll talk with uh, some of the representatives from uh, this studio. So looking forward to that on Tuesday. And on Friday, we're going to broadcast live at Mission Connection Northwest 2022, live and in person at Village Church in Beaverton. We'll be there from four to six, and I believe the first sessions begin around five o'clock. So if you're planning on um, attending, uh, stop by and give us a wave while we're on the air. I also want to remind you, while the event remains free, you do have to register online to attend. And you can do so very easily at kpdq.com or go to missionconnection.com for all those important details. You'll also want to see what workshops are available and uh, make sure you're signed into those that mean the most for you. Well, one Jewish leader says the FBI got it wrong After an official said the Texas synagogue hostage takers demands were not specifically related to the Jewish community. Well, the Texas SWAT team responded to Congregation Beth Israel on Saturday after British national Malik Faisal Akram, 44, allegedly entered the building, held four people, including a rabbi, hostage for hours. A live stream of the service was on Facebook during a portion of the hostage situation before it was taken down. Well, investigators said the hostage taker expressed support for a, a Pakistani neuroscientist who was sentenced to 86 years in prison back in 2010 for attempting to murder and assault U.S. military personnel and was being held at Federal Medical Center Carswell at a prison in Fort Worth. After almost 12 hours of negotiations with the hostage taker, the hostages were freed after a loud bang and the sound of gunfire could be heard at the congregation Beth Israel. Well, at a news conference after the um, hostages were released, FBI special agent in charge uh, Matt DeSarno said that the Texas synagogue hostage takers demands were specifically focused on issues not connected to the Jewish community. Well, Kenneth Marcus, the founder and chairman of the Louis B. Brandeis Center for Human Rights Under Law and former assistant U.S. Secretary of Education for Civil Rights, disagreed, saying the FBI got it wrong. He said that the attack was obviously a matter of anti-Semitism. Failure of the FBI to understand this is something of a pattern with law enforcement in the United States and, frankly, in Europe. It seems that time after time we see law enforcement officials fail to understand when an anti-Semitic incident occurs, even when it's entirely obvious. And sometimes the results of that are tragic. This time, fortunately, they have not been. Well, if the law enforcement community doesn't understand what's going on, they're not going to be able to address the fallout from it. This was not a mere slip up. It's uh, symptomatic of a widespread failure with law enforcement to understand the problems of anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism, Marcus went on to say. Well, the co-founder and CEO of Stand With Us, which is an educational organization that educates uh, individuals about Israel and combats anti-Semitism, said that the notion that the hostage taker did not target a Jewish community is insulting and disappointing. Trying to separate Jews from the idea of Jews were targeted in uh, on their holy day at their house of worship is a mistake and it's insulting and disappointing. It's also dangerous to downplay an attack against Jewish people as being 
something else at a time of rising Jewish bigotry that should be all paying. Uh, we should all be paying attention to. It makes no sense to try to separate Saturday's hostage crisis from the people who suffered and who were the most impacted Jews, their Jewish families and the Jewish world. Now, there's some question as to how this uh, individual who was not American managed to make his way into the country. He had a, a, a serious um criminal record and members of his family are puzzled as to why he would be allowed into the United States, which raises the question, how did he enter the United States? That has not yet been made entirely clear. Meanwhile, in other news, Beijing Olympics organizers announced today that only selected spectators will be permitted at the Winter Games next month due to the coronavirus. Uh, Beijing had already cracked down on allowing fans from outside the country to go to the Games, something Japan similarly did in the Summer Olympics. Tickets have uh, not yet been offered to the general public. Well, the organizing committee said measures were indeed intended to create a pleasant environment uh, for the holding of the Games. Uh, Given the difficult and complicated work of controlling the epidemic and to protect the health and safety of those involved with the Games, the original plan of offering tickets to the general public has been altered towards spectators from selected groups, end quote. Well, the Olympics will be held in Beijing and the neighboring uh, Hebei province starting the 4th of February. According to Reuters, it will take place in a closed loop to keep athletes and other personnel away from the general public. China is trying to stick to a zero-tolerance policy when it comes to the coronavirus. The impact of the Omicron variant has already made that difficult. Athletes, uh, team staff, and media will need to be fully vaccinated to be allowed in the Olympic area without completing a 21-day quarantine. And those areas will consist of the Olympic Village, game venues, and other select spots, and dedicated transport. Victor Davis Hansen uh, made the point that politicizing COVID-19 really was the case from the very beginning. He writes that from the moment COVID-19 appeared, the pandemic became inseparable from politics. Political frenzy was inevitable since the SARS-CoV-2 virus may have escaped from a level four security virology lab in Wuhan, China. The rapid fire spread soon threatened to indict the Chinese communist government for nearly destroying the world economy and killing millions. Western elites in response feared that their own lucrative investments in China would be jeopardized by such disclosures and so acted accordingly in defending Beijing. Nonetheless, one scenario that remains intriguing is that the escaped virus was birthed by gain-of-function research scientists overseen by elements of the Chinese communist military. Worse, the lab was given subsidies rather by U.S. health authorities routed through third parties, hiding all of that damaging information, warped government policies and media coverage. Belatedly, a panicked China shut down all domestic travel in and out of Wuhan, but not flights abroad to Western Europe, uh, Europe and the United States. The rest is history. From the outset, again quoting Victor Davis Hansen, the World Health Organization simply spread false talking points about the outbreak from the Chinese government, delaying a robust global response. Former President Donald Trump political opponents initially told Americans that uh, to shop and travel as usual, only to pivot as cases mounted, and they blamed the president. It was politicized from the beginning. The U.S.'s 2020 ban on travel from China was met with charges of racism and xenophobia from presidential candidates. Ironically, many were simply channeling racist and xenophobic China propaganda. Many doctors kept hammering the need for therapeutics, including taboo off-label use of cheap generic drugs. The use of hydroxychloroquine and in, um, ivermectin was widely ridiculed, despite continued studies from abroad attesting to their usefulness. Trump's Operation Warp Speed project to develop vaccines was also pilloried. 
Candidates Kamala Harris and Joe Biden did their best to talk down the safety of the impending inoculations, but once in power, they projected their own prior harmful rhetoric onto so-called anti-vaxxers. Then they claimed credit for the initial success of the Trump vaccinations. The Pfizer Corporation had promised a major pre-election announcement about its likely rollout of a vaccine in October, just days before the election. Then, mysteriously, Pfizer claimed the vaccine, in fact, would not be ready before November 3rd, a few days after the election of Biden. The company reversed course and announced the vaccination uh, would soon be available. Just some examples of the politicization of uh, COVID-19 from the very start. Now, we're out of time and need to take a, a break for a conversation with Dr. Jeffers, but we'll return to what I think is a very astute observation of what has happened from the very beginning. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Up next, Robert Jeffress, Invincible, Conquering the Mountains that Separate You from the Blessed Life. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I've been looking forward to the conversation we're about to have with Dr. Robert Jeffress. He points out in his book that everyone has a mountain to conquer, something that blocks our way of truth and stands between us and the life God intends for us to live. Well, in his newest book titled Invincible, Conquering the Mountains that Separate You from the Blessed Life, best-selling author, television and radio host and pastor Dr. Robert Jeffress, he equips readers with biblical insights and practical tools to help them conquer 10 of life's most difficult mountains so that they can fully live the blessed life that God has. Everyone, every one of us has faced at least one of these 10 mountains, um, and he explores in the book all 10 of them. I'll tell you more about that in just a few moments. Um, if you ever hope to conquer these mountains and experience the blessed life God wants us to live, then we have to step out in faith with our eyes fully fixed on the one whose presence causes mountains to melt like wax. Well, I'm just delighted to have back once again, Dr. Robert Jeffress. He's senior pastor of the 15,000 member First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas. He's a Fox News contributor. His daily radio program, Pathway to Victory, is heard on more than 930 stations nationwide. And his weekly television program is seen on thousands of cable systems and stations in the U.S. and in nearly 200 countries around the world. Known for his bold biblical stands on cultural issues, uh, Dr. Jeffress has been interviewed on more than 3,000 radio and television programs, well, maybe 3,001. We're glad to have, uh, have you with us, Dr. Jeffress. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's great to be back with you, Georgine. I don't know how you, how you have time to do a radio interview, but I'm grateful that you're with us. Oh, I look forward <laughs> to it all day. Now, um, you use the word in the title of the book, Invincible. That is such a big word. Can you define it in the context of a believer who is walking by faith uh, and has overcome the mountains that you write about in this book? What does it mean to be invincible? And is, is that possible? Well, it is possible. And it's really an attitude I think Paul describes in Romans eight thirty seven when he said, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. This is not a positive-thinking mumbo-jumbo book. It's a realistic book about obstacles we're all facing, especially, Georgine, during these last 18 months Mm -hmm. of this pandemic. Mountains like loneliness, uh, anxiety, fear, grief. We've all experienced these things. And, you know, Jesus said, if you have faith as tiny as a mustard seed, you can move mountains. Now, let's be honest. 
he wasn't speaking literally, but he was speaking truthfully. The fact is, these very real obstacles that separate us from the life God wants us to uh, to experience, these obstacles, we can't get rid of them once and all for all. There's no one-time prayer, one thing uh, that we can do that will remove anxiety from our life forever. We may not be able to rid ourselves of these mountains, but we can conquer them before they conquer us. And that's what the book Invincible is about. What does it look like to partner with God to move the mountains that you write about, uh, the mountains that we experience that's common to believers? Well, you know, the fact is, uh, there's only one thing that God says you cannot participate in at all, and that's your salvation. We are saved by God's grace Mm -hmm. received through faith. But everything else worthwhile in our life, frankly, is a cooperative effort between God and us. Uh, God doesn't say, you know, give everything to me and uh, you don't have to do anything. Remember, he said to the Israelites, I'm going to give you the promised land, but you're going to have to fight for every square inch of it. And so I talk about in this book, these different 10 mountains, they all are different sizes. They require different skills to be able to conquer. But again, with God, all things are possible. Amen. Well, early in the book, you write about a recent mountain you and your family face. Tell us a bit about that and how you were guided to respond to that challenge. Well, one of the mountains we talk about is grief. This has been Mm -hmm. a time of loss that many people have experienced. And I told about a story, our own daughter, Julia, she went through three miscarriages, one right after another. It's a painful experience. And one day she said, Dad, I just want you to know, uh, Ryan, her husband and I are uh, praying for triplets, one life to replace every life that was lost. And Georgine, being the great man of faith I am, I said, Julia, don't pray that way. (laughs) You're just (laughs) setting yourself up for disappointment. We don't have a history of multiple births in our family. And I'll never forget what she said. She said, Dad, if you want to see God do big things, you have to pray big things. And she and her husband prayed big things. God answered that prayer with triplets. And uh, I'm not saying God answers every prayer in that same way, but we have to be bold enough to ask God for what is really in our heart and trust him for the answer. Well, in the book, um, you write about uh, the, the mountains that we uh, we face. You examine how to move from doubt to faith, from guilt to repentance, from anxiety to peace, from discouragement to hope, from fear to courage, from bitterness to forgiveness, from materialism to contentment, loneliness, loneliness rather, to companionship, from lust to purity and from grief to acceptance. These are such common experiences that oftentimes leave the believer uncertain about how to proceed and whether or not there are mountains that can um, that can be climbed or or uh, put aside so that we can enjoy, as you uh, put it in the book, you can enjoy what God has in mind for us, that blessed life. Well, that's right. And, you know, just one of those mountains, I think so many people are dealing with anxiety. Uh, experts tell us anxiety is at an all-time high. And again, it's not enough, Georgine, to tell people, well, just don't worry. Don't worry. That's like telling somebody, don't think about a pink elephant. Well, that's all they're going to think about. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they've got to replace one negative activity with a positive one. Paul said, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. And I tell in the book Invincible, uh, my friend David Jeremiah has a great suggestion. He says, take out a piece of paper, write at the top of it my worry list, and make a list of everything 
everything you're worrying about. It may take two or three pages. But once you have finished that list, take your pen, scratch out the worry, a word worry, and insert the word prayer. Turn your worry list into your prayer list. And that's what Paul is saying. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. And the promise is the peace of God shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Well, that seems like like such a simple thing when we pray about the things that concern us. How does God uh, how does God use those prayers to change what is affecting some 40 million uh, adults into a life of faith and blessing that we all long for? Well, again, worry isn't something we conquer once and for all. But it's uh, something that has to be dealt with sometimes on a daily, if not hourly, basis. And uh, I think we need to realize, you know, sometimes our concern is well-placed. It can come because of a neglected responsibility. Maybe you haven't been to the dentist for two years and you're worried you have a cavity. Well, go to the dentist. I mean, that's one way to alleviate Mm -hmm. worry. Sometimes worry comes from guilt that is unconfessed. But sometimes, Georgine, it comes from Satan himself. Himself. You know, um, I, I read a study one time that said 92% of the things we worry about never come to pass. And that's just like Satan. He is a liar. He's the father of all lies, Jesus said. And we need to confront his lies with the truth. In your first chapter, you take on moving from doubt to faith. Um, you also um, make a distinction between doubt and unbelief. Can you talk a bit about that chapter and how we can move from doubt to faith? Well, again, this has been a season when people have had doubts about a lot of things. A lot of their beliefs have been challenged. And the Bible does draw a distinction between doubt and unbelief. Doubt is natural. I mean, just trying to do business with an invisible God causes us to doubt sometimes. Jesus never condemned sincere questions that people have. But what he did condemn was a final conclusion, unbelief, that doubts God and his word. And what's important, Georgine, is not to allow seeds of of doubt doubt to develop into unbelief. And I like what one person said, you know, doubt is like a mushroom. It grows best in the darkness. And one way to overcome the natural doubt we have is to get back engaged with other Christians in a church setting. Don't allow yourself to be isolated and therefore defeated by Satan. Like Solomon said, two are better than one, and a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Well, let me just take the opportunity to ask you about remote worship. I know for it may not be the case in Texas, but for many, um, doing a church from home, watching it on a screen has replaced actually going and returning to a congregation here in the Pacific Northwest. Things are opening up and people are now um, welcome to go back to their churches. What do you say to the one who has kind of gotten used to church in their pajamas in the living room with a cup of coffee as opposed to? A fellowship in which you are in close proximity with uh, fellow believers. Look, I'm a strong believer in the internet worship, and we've done it in our church. And this, uh, last Sunday, we had 400,000 people watching our services. But that is a cheap substitute for the real thing. I would tell people, you know, we're Christians. God designed us to be kind of like those two porcupines in northern Canada that huddled together to keep warm. They needed each other, even though they needled each other. And <laughs> the fact is, we as Christians need the touch, even if it's not always pleasant. 
pleasant of other Christians. Hebrews 10 says, don't forsake the assembling together of yourselves as is the habit of some, but encourage one another all the more. And I would just encourage people, get back into church as soon as you can, as safely as you can. Being a Christian doesn't mean being stupid. We still take precautions in our church, but we shouldn't let us at this point rob us of the need we have to be Absolutely. together. Again, we're talking this afternoon with Dr. Robert Jeffress. His latest book is titled Invincible, Conquering the Mountains That Separate You from the Blessed Life. It's published by Baker Books. We'll continue our conversation in just a moment, so stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and I'm continuing my conversation with Dr. Robert Jeffress. He's senior pastor of the 15,000-member First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas. His daily radio program, Pathway to Victory, is heard on more than 930 stations nationwide, and his weekly television program is seen on thousands of cable systems and stations in the U.S. and in nearly 200 countries around the world. He's the author of more than 20 books, including Not All Roads Lead to Heaven, A Place Called Heaven, and Courageous. His latest book is titled Invincible, Conquering the Mountains that Separate You from the Blessed Life. And it, he um, uh, he ta- writes about the most difficult mountains that can separate us from the blessed life that God has in store for us. And every chapter will equip you with biblical insights and practical tools so that you can conquer it and come out stronger on the other side. Well, this is uh, such a timely book because we are struggling with so many things that have uh, over the last 18 months changed what um, was more natural or at least familiar to us. In Invincible, you uh, write about the mountain of fear the Israelites faced as they were approaching the promised land. What did the mountain look like for them and how did they overcome it? What can we take from their adventure? You know, the one thing for the Israelites that separated them from the promised land was fear. Remember, uh, God told them to send the 12 spies in. Many people missed that point that God sent them in there. And they came back, interestingly, with the same report. Uh, The report was it was great land flowing with milk and honey. There were giants in the land. They were mammoth. They differed, though, in their conclusion. Ten said the giants are too big uh, for us to take. Two said we can take them. The difference was they had different standards of comparisons. The ten who voted no compared the giants to their own strength. The two, Caleb and Joshua, who said yes, were comparing the giants to God's stature. And that's the problem with most of us. Most of us measure our problems by our own abilities, our own resources, and we're always going to come up lacking. Georgine, I will use this illustration. Uh, You know, the tallest building in the world is in Dubai. I think it's like 2,700 feet tall. It's a mammoth skyscraper. But compared to Mount Everest, that's 29,000 feet tall, it's nothing but a molehill. The problem is with most of us, we want to turn our molehills into a mountain. God says, if you'll trust me, I'll turn your mountain into a molehill. A matter of perspective and and to whom you are are looking. Now, following and during this COVID-19 pandemic, loneliness is at an all-time high. It didn't begin there, but it certainly has been exacerbated by it. What practical advice can you share with our listeners who want to move from loneliness to companionship in an environment in which we're discouraged from embracing one another? Well, you know, uh, we talked about loneliness a little bit before the break. I would just start with this. First of all, recognize the fact that 
we all need other people. Now, this is going to shock some of your listeners, but I want them to hear me completely before they turn off the radio. The fact is, a relationship with God is not enough to satisfy all of your emotional needs. The reason I can say that with confidence is God said that. God said it to Adam. He had a perfect relationship with him in the garden before the uh, sin came into the world. But he said to Adam, Adam, it's not good for a person like you to be alone. I will create another human being, a helper suitable for you. We are human beings. We're spirit beings, yes, but we're humans who need one another. God designed it that way. And so I think it starts with the realization, Georgine, that we really do need each other. And then I would just encourage people to understand there are different levels of friendship and uh, companionship, you know, acquaintances, casual friends, close friends, forever friends. But the best place to meet all of those people, I think, is in the church. And that's why every believer needs to be plugged in to a church, to a small group where they can minister to one another and be ministered to by one another. We touched on this a bit earlier in our conversation as well, but in the last chapter of the book, you walk readers through the path from grief to acceptance. We've lost loved ones and friends and co-workers to COVID-19, and it has uh, made us more acutely aware of our own mortality and perhaps uh, given us a glimpse of a- eternity that we might not otherwise consider. Can you talk us uh, through that journey from grief yeah. to acceptance? Well, it, anytime you have a significant loss, there's grieving, whether it's the loss of a another person, the loss of a job. I think, uh, Georgine, I've seen people just grieve over the loss of time. They felt like Mm -hmm. these last two years in some ways have been lost. And uh, I get the question as a pastor, well, when will I start feeling normal again? And I try to say gently, probably never. Uh, There's a new normal, though, that you'll experience that can be uh, as good as, if not better, than the old normal. And uh, we have to understand grief really is a process you go through. Jesus went through it with his friend uh, Lazarus, who was dead, even though Jesus knew what he was about to do with Lazarus. He grieved. He wept over the death of Lazarus. And uh, we can't rush through the process of grief. I tell people grief is like going into a dark tunnel. The bad news is it's dark, it's terrifying, it's lonely. The good news is once you've started in that tunnel of grief, you're already on the way out of it. And as the psalmist said, joy endures the evening, but joy comes in the morning. Mm, thank the Lord for that. Yes. Are there any words of encouragement on God's promises and moving mountains and what what life is like on the other side of the mountain that we have conquered that you'd like to share with our listeners? I would just like to remind them of what Jesus said. He said, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. He gave a very honest assessment. He talked about pestilence, which is another word for pandemic. He talked about wars and rumors of wars. He talked about civil unrest. He talked about all of these things we've experienced. In this world, that's part and parcel of living in a sin-filled world. But he added the word, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And that's what invincible is. 
We don't have to allow these mountains to conquer us. With God, all things are possible. And I encourage people to pick up a copy of the book. Lots of people are using it in a group study. Trust me, when you announce you're going to be talking about how to conquer loneliness, grief, worry, fear, uh, people want to hear that. So they can pick up the copy and use it as a group study as well as an individual book. Yeah, absolutely. And I always ask the question, uh, is there a particular way that, that listeners can find a copy of Invincible? Because I know they're going to want it. Well, thank you for having me so much. They can get it at Amazon.com. That's the easiest way, or Christian Books, uh, or uh, any uh, other major e-tailer or retailer right now. I think Hobby Lobby, all Hobby Lobbies have them. Well, once again, I so appreciate the time that you take to engage in conversation. You have such a busy schedule, so I am grateful for that. And I thank you for taking the time to minister to and encourage the body of Christ with this and so many of your books. This book in particular, Invincible, Conquering the Mountains that Separate You from the Blessed Life. Thank you, Dr. Jeffress. Always a joy to be with you, Georgine. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Again, the chapters in the book, Moving from Doubt to Faith, From Guilt to Repentance, from anxiety to peace, discouragement to hope, moving from fear to courage, moving from bitterness to forgiveness, from materialism to contentment, moving from loneliness to companionship, from lust to purity, and from grief to acceptance. And then his last chapter has to do with the mountain behind you, because oftentimes we look behind us. I'm reminded of the freedom that Israel enjoyed when uh, the the waters were parted and they were free from slavery in Egypt, and yet they longed for the leeks and onions they enjoyed there. Now, they apparently forgot everything that went along with those leeks and onions. And we sometimes look back and remember aspects of where we have been that we long for. So his last chapter deals with uh, the mountain behind you. Uh, along with the other practical elements of the book. Again, Invincible, Conquering the Mountains that Separate You from the Blessed Life, published by Baker Books. We've got news and traffic coming up at the top of the hour, and then in the second hour of the program, we'll talk a little bit about what's happening here in Oregon with regard to the um, redistricting map that's being rejected by some Republicans, and we have a new gubernatorial candidate, or at least someone who's exploring the idea, from the New York Times. That and much more when we return right here on the Georgine Rice Show. So stay with us. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. Well, today, of course, is a national holiday. I began the program talking about it and wanted to end doing the same. Uh, one of the columnists that I've in, uh, in enjoyed was written by Dr. Paul Kangor. He is with the Institute for Faith and Freedom, and he Pose the uh, the statement, teach MLK, not CRT. Well, he was referring, of course, of course, to Dr. Martin Luther King as opposed to critical race theory. And there is a dramatic difference between the two. In fact, if you embrace the tenets, understanding what they are of the one, you cannot at the same time hold the other. This is what he writes. Here's a critical question for enthusiasts of critical race theory, particularly its growing number of advocates on the religious left. How did MLK do what he did without it? That is, how did Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. manage to accomplish what he did without critical race theory? MLK preceded CRT, which began its rise in the 1970s, exploding in American universities still later. King was assassinated in 1968. How did Rosa Parks do what she did without this very narrow ideological theory known as CRT? 
How about Thurgood Marshall? How did the NAACP, founded in 1909, ever get off the ground without it? How did Malcolm X, Jesse Jackson, Ralph Abernathy, John Lewis, and the Freedom Riders? How about Harriet Tubman and Frederick Douglass? What about Abraham Lincoln? Juneteenth long preceded critical race theory. How was that possible? Well, the answer is obvious. MLK didn't need CRT. Neither did any of these other figures. Neither do we. King, in fact, would have rejected critical race theory, least of all because its roots in Marxist the, uh, critical theory, whose origins are the destructive Frankfurt School. David Garrow, who is a preeminent biographer of Dr. Martin Luther King and certainly no conservative, said this critical race theory so postdates him that there's no connection. But MLK would have most certainly rejected any identity based classification of human beings. End quote for King. Uh, You were to be judged by the content of your individual character, not lumped into an ethnic category based on the color of your skin. You were a child of God made in the image of God. You were defined as a person, not stereotyped according to a group. As St. Paul stated, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ. That's Galatians 3. 28. The Christian faith, which of course was King's faith, rejects these identity-based classifications of human beings. Dr. King's associates who survived him certainly rejected critical race theory. Dr. Wyatt T. Walker was close to Reverend uh, King. He stated, today too many remedies, in quotes, such as critical race theory, the increasingly fashionable post-Marxist, post-modernist approach that analyzes society as institutional group power structures rather than on spiritual or one-to-one human level, are taking us to uh, the wrong direction, separating even school children into explicit racial groups and emphasizing differences instead of similarities, end quote. Walker went on to stress the roots of critical race theory are planted in entirely different intellectual soil. It begins with blocks, with each person assigned to an identity or economic block as in Marxism. Asked constantly about the Reverend King's views on Marxism and socialism, they are frustratingly and notoriously difficult to pin down. Uh, Mr. Garrow went on, he put uh, King in the group of uh, some form of democratic socialism, probably closer to the original envisioned by socialist justice Catholic uh, Michael Harrington during his founding of the Democratic Socialists of America in the early 80s, a DSA, Democratic Socialist Association, far removed from today's Democratic Socialist Association, the DSA of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ilan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, and others. Today's DSA is saturated with members who are sympathetic to Marxism, what its leadership calls our 94915 comrades, and to atheism and also variantly anti-Israel, if not anti-Semitic. Harrington would have been very troubled by all of this, as would Dr. King. It was pre, uh, precisely the atheism of communism that bothered Dr. King. Communism, and I'm quoting, avowedly secularistic and materialistic has no place for God, noted Dr. King. I strongly disagreed with communism ethics of relativism, since for the communist uh, There is no divine government, no absolute moral authority. There are no fixed immutable principles. Consequently, among anything, force, violence, murder, lying is a justifiable means to a millennial end. End quote. Well, Dr. King would have vehemently rejected the embrace of Marxism by the likes of BLM founder Patrice Cullors, a stalwart proponent of critical race uh, theory, generally and CRT in particular. We are trained Marxists, she says. We are super versed in ideological theories. If only Cullors knew what a terrible racist Karl Marx was. 
Both Marx and Engels nastily flung around the N-word, that is the actual American English racial epithet for black people. It's alarming to read letters between Marx and Engels in German and be struck by the N-word jumping off the page, and yet many embrace it as if that did not exist. Of course, Colors probably has no idea of that. She attended our university. She would have learned only good things about Marx and Engels and about critical race theory. Dr. King would surely recoil at statements like the one issued at Thanksgiving by Colors, Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation, blasting what it dubs white supremacist capitalism. The statement declared white supremacist capitalism uses policies to protect profits and steal black life. The shocking statement continued, capitalism doesn't love black people, end quote. It's hard to imagine Dr. King engaging in similar deeply divisive Marxist-based rhetoric. This is what can happen when the ugly specter of communism is dragged into civil rights. It divides. That's what Marxism has always done. It's a toxic ideology with corrosive effect, all of which brings us back to the opening question. Why do so many people on the left, and particularly the religious left, feel the need to embrace critical race theory in order to teach about the nation's past racial sins? Well, few modern topics have become as divisive, which is no surprise given that CRT divides. It divides people into groups pitted against one another, into categories of oppressed versus oppressor, and your group defines you. This certainly flies in the face of the Judeo-Christian conception of all individuals as children of God and Dr. King's view of its uh, of all people being equal. King and Parks and the others, uh, to the contrary, united everyone with their struggle. Sure, they were opposed to racists of their day. Today, however, they are national icons, widely respected, if not revered, by all sides. We've grown so much that there's now a national holiday for Dr. King. Everyone celebrates it. It was approved by President Ronald Reagan in 1983, even given Reagan's early questions about the Civil Rights Act of 1964. When Reagan was first asked about a King holiday during a press conference on the 10th of May in 1982, he unhesitatingly said, and I quote, I have the deepest sympathy for it. I know what he means and what he has meant to a movement that I think is important to all of us, end quote. Well, after taxing, uh, rather tasking his administration to consider the cost of such a federal holiday, he approved of it in August of 1983. Today, it's approved and celebrated by all. Figures like King pull together. Critical race theory pulls apart. That's why it's uh, has a long uh, has rather long been rejected until strangely its recent embrace by many on the religious left as well as many on wider political left. But not everyone on the wider left, liberals ranging from the likes of Bill Maher to Andrew Sullivan to John McWhorter to James Carville firmly reject uh, and um, reject it and take it on. Entire groups like the 1776 United Project make up of uh, made up rather of long time leading African-American scholars like Carol Swain, Glenn Lowry, Bob Woodson, Shelby Steele, Wilfred Riley and dozens more have sprung up to counter critical race theories uh, influence. What inspires people and brings them to their better angels are brilliant works like Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s Birmingham Jail Letter. Not the works of critical race uh, theory writers like Robin DiAngelo, uh, Kimberly Crenshaw, Richard uh, Delgado, and Ibram X. Kendi. If you want to help the poor, just follow the gospel and the teachings of Jesus. Why follow militantly atheistic 
uh, communism merely because Karl Marx likewise talked of helping the poor. Marxists vehemently reject religion, just as Marxists don't get to uh, claim ownership of workers' rights. Neither do critical race theorists suddenly get to claim ownership of civil rights. People on the religious left have long been easily manipulated by radical theories, repackaged and dressed up in a pretty pink bow. They are very naive to many of these noxious ideological notions, and Marxist practitioners have long known that and targeted them. They should simply stick with the gospel. Go to Christ. You need not do uh, or go uh, to anything rooted in Marx. That's not fruit from a healthy tree. Appeal to the gospel, Judeo-Christian teaching, natural law, Jesus, St. Paul, Augustine, Aquinas, and not to a theory developed from the ideas of Karl Marx and the Frankfurt School. Critical race theory is doing what it was designed to do, and that is to divide people. We need to unite people around what is true. And Martin Luther King Jr., the day set aside to remember his contribution to our nation, gives us an excuse to revisit what was originally said uh, during that period and to uh, mark that stark contrast between what is being uh, pushed today by way of critical race theory. Well, we're just about out of time. I want to remind you or maybe tell you for the first time that tomorrow we're going to invite International Christian Response in studio for an emergency food campaign. We'll give you all the important details. It'll begin really early in the day here on KPDQ and run through uh, the two hours of the Georgine Rice Show. So I would encourage you to listen carefully and, if you can, to give generously to this effort to reach out to persecuted believers around the globe. That's coming up uh, tomorrow. Also want to remind you, we'll be broadcasting live on Friday from Mission Connection Northwest 2022. And yes, this year it is back in person. So I'm so thrilled. At Village Church in Beaverton, they've invited... Uh, uh, mission connection back to the facility and there will as has been the case in previous years 80 plus exhibits there'll be 80 plus uh, workshops and um, everything you have come to expect on this the 20th anniversary of mission connection northwest all the important details at kpdq.com or missionconnection.com want to thank james blend for producing sam moppin for engineering and thank you for making the georgine rice show part of your day have a great night Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at GRice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.